fix my car When I buy gas, don't get me very far My baby needs some milk to drink And mama wants her wine I get a check each week But I don't know what's mine I'm losing track I don't know what to do I got the budgeting blues Welcome to Sensible Chat, the podcast committed to helping you learn positive money mindsets, destroy debt, reduce financial stress, and break the paycheck-to-paycheck cycle. Today, we're chatting with Jedediah Collins, former fullback for the NFL and author of Your Money Vehicle. He'll discuss his journey from the NFL to personal finance and what he learned along the way. But first, let's turn to the superstar of smart spending, the fiscal fiduciary, the nanny of the note. Here is Sensible Bobby. Thanks, Scott, and thank you for joining me. The other day during a session with a client, we got on the subject of the serenity prayer, and we both commented on how appropriate that prayer is right now. Always, really. And it's been on my mind ever since. So I wanted to share the prayer with you and explain how it can really help with getting control over your money. Here's the prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I got to tell you, I learned this prayer as a teenager, but I never really stopped to absorb what the words actually meant. They are so powerful, and if you can hold on to them, especially during times of complete chaos, they can really help you through. So keep listening, because after our Sensible University segment, I'm going to break down this prayer and talk about how it relates to your money. Now, how do vehicles relate to your money? You'd be surprised at all the really great analogies between taking care of your vehicle and taking care of your money. I'm going to let our guest tell you more. Welcome back, class. Sensible University is now in session. Today's guest professor is Jedediah Collins, certified financial planner, former NFL fullback, and author of Your Money Vehicle. During his time in the NFL, Jed went from undrafted free agent to the top-rated fullback while learning from a dozen different locker rooms along the way. During his time studying for the CFP, he became an expert in personal finances. During his time as a writer, he's had articles published on Scout.com and ESPN.com, as well as publishing his first book, Your Money Vehicle. Jedediah, thank you so much for being our guest professor today. I appreciate you having me on and excited to discuss what's going on in my world, as well as share some insights with your audience. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you because it's such an interesting twist, you being in the NFL, and Mm -hmm. while you were actually still in the NFL, you were studying to be a certified financial planner. What made you do that? Fear. That probably isn't people's first response or reaction, but truly it was an awakening of some sorts. I received my first paycheck and as people know, professional athletes get paid very handsomely. And I look at this first big check and I open the envelope and truly I'd spent the money before I even opened the envelope. And it was just that relationship with money. I made money. I was going to go spend it. That's what I thought money was for. You know, full disclosure, I bought an engagement ring and my wife and I have been married for 10 years. So it was a good investment, but it was a very poor, poor financial choice. And I remember waking up a few days after that in sweats and in just knots thinking this NFL experience and this NFL dream, I'm not going to capture it if I continue to treat money like that. And I saw myself, I was never going to be a multi mega million dollar contract guy. 
And I realized the harsh reality that most of the professional athletes don't capture the true dream. And so I I realized to do that, I was going to have to start doing things differently. And so my dream was no longer just playing in the NFL. It was leaving the game with something to show for it. Yeah, it's so common for people to think that professional athletes are rich beyond their wildest dreams Mm -hmm. and set for life and that they'll never have to worry about money. But that's certainly far from reality in many cases. And we hear about them also a lot of times. So how common is it for professional athletes to have financial hardships after they retire? It's very common. I would argue the majority do. And it begins with semantics and mindset, even as something as simple. When I talk to a lot of professional teams and players, I break down the difference between rich and wealthy. They are all rich. They have money in the moment and today. Wealthy, on the other hand, is how many days you don't have to think about money and is how much you have money working for you. And so just that separation between rich and wealthy sometimes opens men and women's eyes to the reality that they're living a great today, but are they taking care of tomorrow? And I, as a former athlete, I was an accounting major. I got a great business degree. I grew up in Orange County where there's a lot of money. I was never taught about money. And I look at professional athletes and everybody points the finger and says, oh, boo-hoo, professional athletes go broke. In a lot of ways, it's not all our fault. You definitely hear the stories of guys who spend lavishly or lose money to this or that. But the reality is, in a word I don't like to use, is players retire at 26, 27. Their career is over. They've continued to have a short-term mindset, an annual renewal of how far their world really goes. Those two hurdles in the financial sense of your main source of income for your life and your careers comes before you turn 30. That's a very, very tough thing to manage. And especially when you don't have the education to see how to put money to use in a long-term lens. There's also not a whole lot of options where you see CEOs or high level, high compensated employees in the corporate world have a lot of options and flexibility of how they can receive their income. For professional athletes, the vast majority of it, all of it is W-2 income that gets taxed and half of it goes out the door. You know, by the time you walk off the field, you got to pay the federal, the state, even a lot of the cities you play in. So my mission is to help athletes in the transition. The transition is such a challenge. People ask me all the time, you know, what was the biggest difference? The fact nobody claps for you anymore. It's a weird and kind of a humbling sensation. And that seems very egotistical. But since I was nine, I was always given feedback from applause. Like you did a good job. Congratulations. So there's a lot of little hurdles in there. My mission is the education gap and to empower athletes, students, and young professionals in how to start seeing money differently. And that's so important because especially for athletes, you know, it seems like a lot of people focus on, especially if the person you can see is very talented from a young age, they're going to focus on how to get them up there, how to get them into the big leagues. And, you know, everybody's making money and that's what you're focused on is the game and right now and everything. But you're right. Nobody talks about what goes beyond that. And they do retire at such a young age. And so what are you kind of left with? A lot of people don't even stop to think about any kind of career beyond the NFL. And yeah, if you're retiring that early, I can see where that would be a really tough thing. So I'm glad that somebody like you who's been there is taking it upon themselves to really try to direct people 
And it's such a funny catch 22 because walking out to the playground, you're told if you're good at this one thing, that's all you have to focus on. Focus on this one thing. And I even ran into professional athletes who, you know, God bless them. They would go into elementary schools and tell students, hey, the only reason and way I got here is because I didn't have a plan B. Like I committed everything to this sport or this game or this thing. And I would harshly tell them, guys, we are the minority of the minority. You cannot give this dream because it's not even a dream anymore. When we realize the vast majority of athletes don't capture the financial dream, what are you really preaching to them? I remember, and I'm a numbers guy, I remember numbers when I was being recruited said 10,000 high school students are going for college scholarships in football. About six and a half percent or 650 of those 10,000 would get scholarships. Of those 650, 1% would go on to play in the NFL. So that's 6.5 out of 10,000. And then you're telling me of those, 70% are ending up broke. So one in 10,000 experiences the real dream. I see this and it's really an awakening for society. I think sports are, and we see this as the coronavirus has taken sports away. They are a great, great distraction. They are a great way to unite different people and to give us a fun and exciting thing to view. But for a young person, you always have to understand you are a student athlete. We emphasize that idea of being a student first. And it's a cliche term the NCAA has kind of twisted. But at the end of the day, if you don't get your education, you're going to be far, far worse off down the road, regardless of if you get that $50 million contract or not. Yeah, always have to have a backup plan. And the coronavirus situation has really shown us that because no matter who you are, what skills you have, how much money you're making, whatever it is, it could stop in its tracks in a moment. So if you're not prepared, you're in a dire situation right away. We have tried to change the term emergency fund to the Corona fund. And I think our generations will understand that and actually hopefully start taking a part in that. I definitely hope so. And your book could go a long way to helping them in that. In the book, you write that the secret to money is to think of it as a vehicle rather than a destination. Can you explain what you mean by that? So I've always seen money as the objective, money as this noun that I'm chasing. It wasn't until I started to understand money better that money is this tool. It's a verb instead of a noun. It's the vehicle that is going to get us where we want to go. If you imagine the genie in the bottle coming out and granting you a wish, which is timely because I just watched the new Aladdin with my daughters. Uh, Will Smith does a great job, by the way. The genie question of, well, how much money would you want? A lot of people say a million, 10 million, a billion, whatever it is. The next question is why? You know, if you have a number in mind, what is that lifestyle you're thinking about? And that's what I want people to start to focus on is not money is the secret. Money is going to provide you with things, lifestyle, peace of mind. What are those things? And those become your destination and objectives. And then we reverse engineer and begin to use money as the vehicle that is going to get us to that destination. And so I see it as both a kind of a limited and abundance mindset is if you see money as the noun and as your goal, money controls you. If you see it as the verb, then you control money. And that's where we really start to begin the education around using money and creating employees with your money. 
Yeah, while you're on that subject, I love that in your book, how you talked about making money your employee. What does that mean and how does somebody go about doing that? So this begins with, again, the identification of who you are in your money journey. My goal is to reach people from their first step and be able to provide tips and tricks along the way to be more and more efficient. But as I explained kind of that mindset around my first paycheck, I was a spendor. I consider them three types of ors, spendor, savor, investor. Do all of those end in OR? No, but it sounds a lot better when they do. So I was a spender. I got a check. I paid a check. And I realized very quickly money is going to run out that way. So I started to save up. I realized I wanted an engagement ring. I wanted to buy a house one day. I wanted a car. I wanted to go on vacation. I wanted specific events in the near term, year, six months, whatever, that I needed to save up for. So I took that first and very, very important vital step of becoming a saver. But until I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, some Kramer books, Warren Buffett, you know, even Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman, I started to go to Barnes and Noble and just sit and read these personal finance books. And as I began to study for my CFP, I would actually hide them on trips to and from games because you can't let coaches think you're distracted. But as my education grew, I realized saving was a losing game. Saving in a bank account without getting much working for you, you were going to continually lose out to inflation, something, a term that I'd never really fully comprehended. And so then I finally realized investors, they put their money to work for them. So they don't just go to work for money, money goes to work for them. And that concept of employing your money is something that everybody can understand. And that is my first and ultimate objective is I don't want money to be this foreign language only the wealthy can use. I want money to be a language we all speak. Looking at the financial terms and times that we've just gone through, people are going to realize we sit in the driver's seat of our money vehicle And if you're not making the decisions, nobody is. And so that employ your money is going to set aside a certain portion of your dollars you go out and work hard for and have them go to work for you. And the beautiful thing in that is your employees go out and create their own employees. And that's the eighth wonder of the world compound interest that we get into as well. Yeah, definitely. And I want to get into that in just a minute. But first, I just want to talk about this making your money an employee because that is such a a great thing. And when you can make your money work for you by investing it, that's fantastic. But people are scared of that. And especially after, you know, everything that we've seen from the markets lately. And certainly if you're long term, then this short term right here, you just kind of put out of your mind as long as you've Mm -hmm. got a good investment plan and you move forward. But if there are people in the moment saying, I've lost my job, I can't afford to lose money in the market, even in the short term, because I need it right now. But I also, when the time comes back around, I need to save for emergencies. Let's talk about the difference between what you save, because obviously when you save, you're not going to make a lot of money, but you need a certain amount available Mm -hmm. to you for emergencies. So a lot of people don't really know how to balance that. How would you balance that out, especially for low income people? Absolutely. And so this is getting into a term I call the burn rate. And your burn rate is how much is going out the door each month. And it's really divided into two areas. I have a cash management system I call money buckets, and there's five choices you have with every dollar you make. 
it begins with society and taxes. And so many people have a negative skew to what society is, but truly society and our tax system supports everything in between what I own and what you own. So there are a lot of benefits that come out of that. Then you go into your past choices, anything that is already going to be due at the first of the month. And one of the challenges I have throughout your money vehicle is this first idea of, can you give me a quantifiable number? How much is going out the door before the month even begins? This is going to be your rent or your mortgage, your premium payments, some bills, some other loans. Can you give me a ballpark of how much is already spent before the first of the month? Give me a number there. And that number is going to begin to define your burn rate. And your burn rate is going to then build out how much of a savings or emergency or Corona fund you actually need. And then truly how to begin to define your investment profile and how you diversify. So just knowing simply that one number, I spend $3,000 a month. I spend $10,000 a month. I was in wealth management. I had clients who spent $30,000 a month. But all of those numbers are very relative to your lifestyle. And when we look at financial freedom, which is why I don't say retirement anymore, I say freedom because that's what we're working towards. This idea of 67 and walking away has gone away. So we need to wake up to this new reality of freedom. As you look at that, you really start to see what is within my control and the burn rate, my past choices, anything due before the first and my present choices, anything I'm spending on this month, those connect to what I need to be able to protect. And that protection could be three months if you want to get more conservative, six months, a year. But again, when we start to understand the difference between rich and wealthy, you stop looking at this as money not being used or money that I'm just parking. You start to look at it as if you're looking at your money vehicle, a spare tire or your first insurance policy for when crazy things happen and hit. And with this policy, it gives you possibly the greatest thing money can offer, which is peace of mind. So as I look at building out my emergency fund, I have to define what I'm spending before the first of the month. Give me a good, clear number on that. And then I can back into how much money I need to spend on a daily basis. As we finish out the final two buckets in the money bucket sequence, it's your future choice, your savings and your investing. I love the idea of I made a dollar, I saved a dime. That puts 10% of every dollar I make to my future self. And the fifth and final choice is called compassion. And that's your charitable giving. I don't ask for a lot in that bucket to begin with. I say, give me a penny for your thoughts. 1% to a person, place or cause you want to support because science is telling us that bucket is actually our happy bucket. So with that money bucket system, you have your five choices. Your burn rate is your past and your present choices. And that's a number everybody needs to know because even if you're a mega millionaire athlete, CEO, or entrepreneur, if your spending is $50,000 a month and then all of a sudden your income goes to zero, that number gets very hard to support. 
And it sounds like, you know, and I've read about this a lot lately, that the emergency fund, corona fund, whatever you want to call it, is almost like the difference between insurance and investing. It's about managing risk. Insurance Mm -hmm. is not supposed to be an investment, even though certain products, yeah, certain products like to kind of put the two together. But from what I've read, managing risk and having insurance is completely separate or should be from investing and something that you can't take that investing risk with. So let's talk about managing risk and how that relates to insurance. How do you choose when insurance is best and when to, quote, self-insure? So this is a great question. And I, I truly look at how you handle risk. And my analogy in the book is around driving. So when you drive, you have a couple different risks. You have possibly the risk of running out of gas. Well, that's a risk that you reduce by going and filling up your gas tank. You have the risk of getting a DUI or drinking and driving. Well, you avoid that risk entirely by not drinking and driving. You look at a risk like a flat tire. Well, I have a spare tire in my back seat, so I can self-insure or I can retain that risk because if I get a flat tire, I'll just go fix it. But then I look at a fourth and final risk and I say, this is something that is not likely to happen, but would be significantly damaging if it does. And that's something like an accident. So those kinds of risks I have to transfer. That's where insurance policies really come into place. Anything that is too valuable to lose, I need to transfer that risk to something or someone else. Very silly and funny example I like to use is there was a NFL player named Troy Polamalu who had beautiful, luscious, long hair. He insured his hair because he got a head and shoulders commercial and it became an asset. And so that was too valuable for him to lose out on the field. So he transferred that risk to somebody else. When you look at life insurance or auto insurance, that is the only reason we are all allowed to drive around today is the risk of those accidents have been transferred to other people. So as I look at my world and my plan, one of the first things I want to do is transfer the risks I am not willing or able to lose. This could be something like, disability. I cannot not go to work for six months because my wife and my daughters depend on our income. So I need to transfer that risk. Of course, life insurance with a lot of professional athletes, one of the first gaps in their plan that I give to all of them is umbrella policies. This is a catastrophic plan that if God forbid something really, really bad happened, I have a policy in place to help. I kind of see that as what you're talking about in the book when you talk about playing checkers with your money as opposed to chess. Can you Mm -hmm. explain the difference between those two? I love this analogy because you don't need to understand checkers or chess to really understand what we're trying to communicate here. I'm a big storyteller and using analogies. So checkers is played on a board and the objective is get to the other side, move piece by piece and just get to the other player's side. Chess, on the other hand, played on the same board, has completely different pieces. Each piece has its own strategic advantages and its own set of moves. And you're no longer just trying to get to the other side. Now you have an objective. You have a checkmate. And so as I saw this, I started to realize most people, myself included, you play checkers with your money. You move piece by piece, head down and just try to bulldoze, try to get to the other side to quote unquote retirement. What we have to shift is our objective as retirement to freedom, and that freedom is our checkmate. 
Once we have defined our checkmate based on our personal goals and based on our burn rate, then we can reverse engineer our pieces in seeing which one has the correct advantage to get to where we want to go. So chess is just building out a strategy and building out a plan. I'm tired of people saying, I don't have enough money for a plan. I'll get a financial plan when I have some more money. Your financial plan begins with your first paycheck. And if you don't understand that, then you are not driving your money vehicle. And currently it is driving out of control. So when we see money chess, it is simply this notion of, I understand what my checkmate or what my what I call rich goal is. And then we start to build out the pieces to get there the most effectively and strategically possible. Yeah. And you have, you know, we've what most of us have heard of smart goals, but your book Mm -hmm. actually outlines rich goals, which you were just saying. So break down the acronym of rich goals and tell us a little bit about that. Excellent. So rich goals stand for reachable, individual, controllable, and happy. And smart goals, nothing wrong with smart goals. I see this as a little more personable and has a little catch on the end with the happiness, which I'll talk about here in a second. But reachable, well, this first one is just how do you maintain motivation? My walking away from money and work in the corporate world at 32 is not very reachable in the next couple years. So that can't be my driving force or my driving factor. I set for myself a one year, a one month and a one week rich goal. Those are obtainable. Then I go into I for individual. So individual has to be my reasoning. This can't be a coach. This can't be a teacher, your parents, your friends, a group, anybody outside of yourself. This is one of the only times I encourage people be selfish. These have to be goals that you want, because if you don't really want them, you're not going to continue to prioritize them. The next one, C, controllable. I hate when people say, hey, I'm going to become a millionaire because I threw money into Amazon stock and it's going to take off. You control nothing about Amazon and you control even less about the market at large as we have just humbly been reminded again. So I want you to focus on your actions and your behaviors. This is a very big moment for me is because I, my mission was to educate people. I wanted to go out and teach people about how to use money. What I realized with feedback from professors and more experienced than I is education is a vital first step, but education would fail. Education would fail without true behavioral change. Behavioral change leads to impact, which is why I consider myself a behavioral coach today. I get to combine some of my NFL principles that I watched the best in the world operate on and intertwine it with financial concepts. So this controllableness is around how you control your personal behaviors. The fourth one, the H, and possibly the most important, is happy. Again, these are your goals, but if they don't make you happy, if after a long, hard day, it doesn't give you a little smile to think about, I don't know, that vacation in Mexico or that car you want to get or that diamond ring you want to buy or whatever it is that you are seeking in your plan, then it's kind of all mute and you you will not continue to have the energy to do it if it doesn't bring you joy and happiness. So as we look at it, I said for myself, a one-year goal, something I control that I can start today that will come to fruition in a year, a one-month goal, something negative or a bad habit or something I know I should change. I want to be able to focus on it for a month and change it. 
And then a one-week goal. What is something I can learn, empower myself, and sharpen my axe that is going to feed my future self? So those are kind of how I break down the rich goal sequence. That's really powerful. And I love in your book how you go through all these things, but then you have kind of a wrap up at the end of each idea and a place for people to jot down their own notes for it and give feedback on what they learned from it and what their goals may be and things like that. Because we can sit and talk about it all day long. But like you were saying, if people don't actually do it and they're not engaged in it, then it never really goes to that next step. So let's go back to compound interest, because when you were talking about the controllable part of this, you know, it reminded me of the quote that you were talking about earlier from Albert Einstein in your book. Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. So explain what compound interest is and why it's so important, especially for younger people. I love that quote by Albert Einstein because it's 100 years old and as as true today as it ever has been. My first example with that is, are you an investor mindset? Do you have your money going to work for you? Or are you simply dealing with credit cards and the credit trap, which is chapter five of the book, and realizing I am paying somebody else compound interest and really they're going and getting you know a free round of golf on me. Mm-hmm. So this idea of compound interest plays into the time value of money formula, but it is the first time that you understand the difference between earning money and creating money. For so long, the middle class and the lower class, we go out and we earn money. We go earn our paycheck. And that's a beautiful thing. That's great. That's what makes us proud and truly contributors. But the idea that we now need to transition into creating our own money That is a newer idea and that plays into the eighth wonder. So when you have money and you go earn it, you go make an employee out of it and you invest it, it goes to work for you. What it returns is interest. What it returns is more money. The question there becomes, do you save that money and go to put it back to work or do you turn into your old habits and behaviors and start to spend that money? Where the eighth wonder of the world comes into play is when you take that money you went out and made your employee and go to put the ones it created itself back to work and make even more employees. And this is a tough, tough thing for young people to really see the blueprint of because it is a long term or a big vision of how to see money. But as you see it over time, it begins to exponentially change your financial future. That's why I love an an equation that, you know, us nerdy people like, but the average person gets lost in is the time value of money equation. Future value equals present value times one plus R to the N. I don't need people to understand that, but I need you to see that the exponential part is that N. That N up in the right-hand corner is every period of time you have your money working for you and using that eighth wonder of the world. So I love to introduce young investors and young professionals. I have a little game around Starburst that really visualizes it, but I love to introduce them to a way to exponentially change their world is by using time. And time is the one advantage they have that every investor in the world is desperately seeking. And so if they see this idea of the eighth wonder, this thing Albert Einstein deemed as so precious, and they start to go to make it work for them, 
well, then they're not only going to be earning money, they're going to be creating money. And I truly see that as one of the secrets of the wealthy that we need the masses to understand. Right. And especially for young people, if they understood that as young as possible, like you said, I mean, they've got way more time to take advantage of it and really make it work for them. And I think that goes right in line with the game of inches that you talk about in the book, which I love. Can you explain what that is? Game of inches is one of my favorite concepts, truly, because I discovered this while I was playing in the NFL, and it was a a veteran linebacker who I would work out with and I trained with. And as we were working out, I would notice something. He would, out on the practice field, we would run 40 yards as a team, he'd run 45. We'd run 50, he'd run 55. In the weight room, we'd do a set of 10, he'd do 11. He'd always go get one more piece of film than everybody else. Finally, I had to go ask him. I'm a curious person by nature. I'm a journaler at heart. So I went up to him and I just said, hey, I don't get it. Is it hard for you to slow down out on the field? Do you lose track in the weight room or what's going on? Like, what, what, what is the difference here? And he simply said, the only reason he was able to compete after 15 years as a linebacker, being shorter, having everybody come in the door, being younger and cheaper and healthier, the only way he could compete is by stealing inches. He realized an inch leads to a yard, a yard to a first down, a first down to a score, a score to a win, and a win to an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, which was his checkmate, was what he was driving towards. And so as we start to see money, we have to look at it through that lens. I understand that freedom is not going to happen tomorrow, but an inch can lead to a yard. So a decision I make today is going to be something that I look at my week goal and maybe I wanted to save $50 this week and this was $5 of that 50. What are all these little decisions that we're making and how do they lead to our checkmate? So inch by inch is just the simple notion of understanding Every decision we make has an impact. One of the greatest examples is that latte example where you take your average career of 30 years and somebody goes and gets that $5 cup of coffee, which I'm not talking bad about the coffee. It's a great kickstart to the day. It gives you a warm feeling and a lot of people need it. But now as you stand in line for that coffee, all I want you to understand is the opportunity cost of that decision. That $5 cup of coffee will end up being about $50,000 of coffee over 30 years. Or if instead of coffee, you invested and turned those $5 a day into your employee, it would add up to almost $350,000 over that 30-year time period. So this is all going back to just that notion of identifying how to use money and where and what we are trying to achieve with it. Yeah, and I love that because the game of inches really illustrates how anyone at any income level can work towards financial independence, financial freedom. Whatever your situation today, you can start to change it, even if it's just in these tiny little increments. And I think that is very important, especially to give people hope that there's a reason to do these little things because they will add up in the long run. It absolutely begins to add up. And again, as you look at what has happened recently, some people say, well, the market is broken or the market is not going to be able to bring what I want as my goal. But then it begs the question of those inches is the today mindset and is a vital part of the plan. But you need to continually step back and say, 
well, where was my destination? Where were the goals I built this plan around? If you hadn't had goals set, that might be a good humbling reminder to go and set some goals now. And I would challenge you to write them down. Statistically, very few people write them down and you're much more likely to achieve a goal that you write down. But as you look at these, you ask yourself, I understand the market in the world today pivoted, changed, and it's been a humbling realization of how impacted we all are. But if my goals or my destination didn't change, my plan shouldn't immediately change either. You should never change your plan based on emotions or reactions. And so that's what I'm asking people to do is take a step back, take a bigger picture lens here and start to see in, I've been questioned by a lot of friends. Well, my 401k took a big hit. Your 401k is designed for your freedom. Are you planning on walking away in the next two to five years? No. Well, then your destination hasn't changed. Stay on course and keep doing what you're doing that your plan has laid out for you. That is the power of planning. You are prepared for certain events. You can never predict what is going to happen. Does everybody get hit by this craziness? Absolutely. But those who have a plan in place are not predicting what's coming, but they are prepared for it. And that goes back to little things like our burn rate, our inches, our goals. All of that is tied together in your financial plan and why we all need to sit down in the driver's seat of your money vehicle. I love the story that you tell in the book about being on the boat and realizing that there's a leak. Can you share this story? Because I think it's a brain teaser that could really change the way some of us think about money. Absolutely. So when I love is, again, making those visuals and making an analogy where people understand what it is we're trying to talk about. So being out on a boat and experiencing a leak, you immediately realize I have to fix this problem. And it is an issue where you look at the tools available to you and you see a bucket, you see a hose that will pour water out or a spoon. And what I hate to see is how many people grab the spoon. And this analogy is around your credit card and around bad debt or interest being overwhelmingly paid against you. So many people focus on the spoon and say, well, all I got to pay is the minimum amount due. That is the first mistake most people make on their financial journey. And I compare it in your money vehicle to your oil. It'd be like not replacing your oil. But out on a boat, you see this leak and you're trying to spoon the water out and you're realizing the water pours in faster than you can spoon it out. What you have to be able to do is take big buckets or even some kind of hose or system that is going to pump the water out as fast as possible. And then most importantly, you got to fix the leak. So with a credit example is I can't pay minimum amount due. MAD makes me mad. I need to focus on paying big, big chunks of this debt so it stops working against me. And then I need to fix the problem, fix the leak. Why did this happen in the first place? That is a question that I need to really understand and digest. And again, it comes back to Albert Einstein's quote. Those who understand why the leak in the water is pouring in will find ways to get paid it. Those who don't understand it will continually spoon it out and pay others this vast, vast eighth wonder of the world. Yep. 
And I loved the fact, because when I read it in your book, the biggest thing for me was the plugging of the leak. And sometimes that's what gets lost. You know, people are trying to pay down debt and use all these different ways. But the first thing you have to do is stop creating more debt. And that's where the plug comes from. And that's what so many people seem to miss. I appreciate that you read it and that those stories hit home. So that's music to my ears. I appreciate that. I love the analogies, too, because I I just think it's so much easier to understand things in that fashion. And a lot of people don't like reading what they consider boring details in Mm -hmm. financial books or whatever. But when there's stories like that, that you can relate to your own life, I just see it as something I can't ignore, you know? So if I'm doing something like that, it's like, okay, now I get it. Now I have to do something about it. And this is going to change my life. So I love that. That's everything. Thank you. Jedediah, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share your book with us and all of these really important ideas that can really help us. And I love the fact that your book is laid out structured like a vehicle owner's manual. And I think that if people go and get this book, they're not going to be disappointed. They're really going to appreciate what they get out of it. I hope so. My objective is to get people to use money, understand, strategize, and be efficient with it. Your money vehicle is not the end-all, be-all. This is the beginning of your journey. We're going to go through and answer questions. But most importantly, as we said, we're going to give you action items to take. So if you're wondering, how do I begin? This is a beautiful, beautiful, storied, analogous way of beginning your financial plan again, this is no longer a question of if you need this. It's a matter of when you wake up to the reality, it is now a necessary skill for survival. So, Bobby, I appreciate the opportunity, the platform, and I've listened to several of yours already. I just appreciate the message you're helping me share and others share. Thank you. That means so much to me. I really appreciate that. Before you go, how can people get the book and how can they get in touch with you? I love feedback. I love interactions. How I built the 10 questions is through hundreds of workshops and having people, you know, give me questions and give me misunderstood concepts. So by all means, reach out with questions, thoughts, considerations. I have a YouTube channel under Jedediah Collins. I'm on LinkedIn under Jedediah Collins. My social tag is JedCollins45 for Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm going to begin my own podcast my curse and blessing is I have a message and I'm willing and ready to go where people are are interested in hearing that message. So by all means, reach out to me, connect and let me know what you think. And the book is on Amazon. It's been a bestseller. So I'm excited to continue this journey. Your Money Vehicle. Go and get it right now and get in touch with Jedediah Collins for more information about everything that he's doing and the great financial concepts that he can really help you with. A great big sensible thank you to our guest professor, Jedediah Collins, author of Your Money Vehicle. Check out his website and pick up your copy of the book at JedediahCollins.com. What an inspiring interview with Jedediah. He gave us a lot to think about and so much hope. It's amazing what we can accomplish if we can just learn to think differently about money. He talked about the importance of knowing what you can control. And that leads right back into the discussion I want to have about the serenity prayer. I'm going to recite it again just to refresh what we were talking about. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. How does that relate to your money? We'll start with a specific scenario. 
There are so many people who've recently lost their jobs and are really panicked about money right now. The first line of the prayer says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. You can't change the fact that you've lost your job. So let yourself feel the emotions that go with that. Mourn the loss of the dependable income it brought you, or that you truly loved that job, or that you'll miss the friends you made. Set a certain amount of time to really grieve this, and then let it go. You can stress about it. You can panic about it. You can even fight with your significant other about it, but it's not going to change the reality that you've lost the job. So accept it, because you cannot change it. The second line of the prayer is, the courage to change the things I can. This is where you take back control. Once you've cried, screamed, and expressed every emotion that naturally comes with the territory, it's time to find your courage. Be your own hero, as we talked about a few weeks back, and change the things you can. So what are they? You can change your spending. The time for spending without giving it much thought is gone. You don't know when you'll have more money, so focus on the money you have today. Make a list of priorities, starting with food and shelter, and keep going until you run out of priorities to list. Now look at how much money you have in your account today and see how many of those priorities you can cover. But what about the ones you can't? Now is the time to decide how important they really are. For today, you may not be able to cover everything, so you've got to focus on what's most important and let the rest go. Put it aside for the moment and move forward. What else can you change? The fact that you have no income. The easiest way to start is to apply for unemployment. It's certainly not a long-term fix, and most of the time you don't make as much as when you were working, but it's the quickest way to start the process of getting something to replace the income you've lost. And when that money comes in, go back to your priority list and see what you need most. Getting takeout can wait. Paying your credit card bill can wait. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to see your credit take a hit either, but I'd rather see your credit score go down than you lose your home. That's why you need the priority list, so you have a constant reminder of what's most important. What else can you do about your income? Start applying for jobs. You may have to take a job that you once considered beneath you, but when times are tough, sometimes you've got to bite the bullet and do whatever you have to do to get some income. Consider this a bridge. You don't have to stay there forever, but it will get you over the river to the other side so you can get back to where you really want to be. In the meantime, maybe there's contract work you can do on the side. Make a list of your professional strengths and have a brainstorm session. Then go to the internet. You'd be amazed at the number of sites out there right now for contract or freelance work. There's TaskRabbit, Upwork, Guru, Fiverr, Freelancer. The list seems endless these days. Another thing you can change is your financial obligations going forward. I'm not talking about rent and utilities. I'm talking about subscriptions you can do without or extras for internet and phone service. This is the time to question everything. Do I really need to spend money on that at a time when money is scarce? No right or wrong answers, just questions you need to ask so you can make the best decisions for you and your family. This is within your control. And this is just a starting ground. Take some time to think about it. Brainstorm by yourself and with friends. It's always amazing to me what can come from a brainstorming session. But make sure you go beyond the brainstorm. 
the best ideas thrown out with no follow-up mean nothing. And it's easy to forget great ideas that get thrown around if you don't write them down. So I've created a guide for you to go through this process. It's called A Budgeter's Guide to Serenity. It breaks down the serenity prayer, what each line means, and how it relates to your finances. It also gives you space to write down your thoughts and ideas. This is the perfect starting ground to creating a plan that can help you find serenity. Here's a great quote. Serenity is not freedom from the storm, but peace amid the storm. So get this guide and start your journey toward financial serenity. It's available on my website at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. And if you want some help getting started or just brainstorming, reach out to me and let's work together. Keep in mind, budgeting is not hard. It's just math. Changing a mindset is what trips up most people. But if you're ready for serenity in your finances, you might find it a bit easier to change that mindset. So until next time, remember, do the math, live the life. That does it for this episode of Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby. Links for all the resources mentioned can be found in the show notes for this episode at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. While you're there, find your favorite app to be sure and never miss a show. On social media, look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you need help with your budget or want to share your thoughts, reach out to Sensible Bobby through the contact page at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. Thank you.